Welcome again. Hope you are having a good day, good summer, ready to, to dive in here. I'd say that I, uh, I started life, lived uh, a few decades probably with, a, with the assumption that if you uh, do the right things, you can affect the kinds of changes in your life and in your little personal world that, that you want. You know, for example, if you, you, you just have to study hard enough and you can get you know, good grades, and, and if, if you treat the girl the right way, I mean, you have to do it the right way, she will marry you, and, and if you interview well enough, you know, you'll get a job, and, and it just sort of works like that, and I would say it was, the, the assumption was probably reinforced at times, maybe even by the Bible. I mean, the Bible says you, you reap what you sow, correct? Does it not? And then it was also reinforced by my frustrations. When I did have disappointments, I could probably usually look and go, well, see, I know what I did wrong. I was pushing the wrong buttons there. If I had just done the right thing, it would have worked out the way I wanted. Of course, when the Bible talks about reaping what you sow, it's speaking as a proverb that 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 is universally true, and you should kind of expect that, so you want to keep that in mind, But, but it's not always the case. It's proverbial true, but not universally true. And this was made perhaps uh, most clear to me, most powerfully clear to me, uh, when my wife got sick. About ten and a half years ago, uh, she got ill, and she really hasn't gotten better. And uh, it took me back to um, after, I don't know how long we would been into this, and, and she had a doctor who was extremely compassionate. We loved her, and she's since retired, but, you know, took really good care of her, you know, sort of like support-wise, but not really scientifically-wise. You know, she just didn't know what to do and how to help her, really. And one day, we ended up finally at a specialist up at OHSU, and this guy um, really quickly, amazingly, um, quickly diagnosed one of Melanie's conditions instantly and sent us home with a prescription, said, here's something you need. And I remember going to the pharmacy, I think it was high school pharmacy back then, picking that up, dropping her off at home, you know, okay, take the pill. And literally, I can remember the feeling driving back to work going, oh, I'm so glad that's over, you know. And, and of course, what we didn't understand and we didn't know at the time is that that was just one of the conditions she had. And this, this med would just uh, modify one of the symptoms of one of the things she had. And so, you know, it did have a little impact. But when your expectation is that you're pushing the right button and you're going to change your problems and, and fix your world, of course, that's very disappointing. And it was one of the first of many, many occasions when we have felt very powerless to change what we would most want to change about our lives, her health. Now, of course, feeling trapped in life is actually a pretty common thing. I know some of you have a health issue that, you know, that it it doesn't look like it's going to change much through your whole life, and you you haven't been able to do that. Some of you uh, maybe have a job. I hear some people have a job they don't like. But, you know, hopefully you read the papers and you know that as much as you don't like that job, it's not really a very smart thing to quit a job these days. You know, you probably don't want to do that. It, it leaves you feeling trapped. Or, or you're disappointed in a relationship. And you know it's wrong to give up on it, and yet you have these sort of unrealized dreams and expectations. And, or, or you're unsatisfied with your financial status, and you don't really see any hope of that changing. And, and, and that's hard on your living situation, and you don't like it, but... But unless you're going to live under a bridge, there really isn't any other place to go or you want to go to school and you can't afford it. And on it goes. We face things in life where we feel stuck. 
And we started last week a series called Resilient. We're working on developing some spiritual perseverance. And here's how that we began uh, to uh, define that last week. Perseverance meaning our ability to continue to follow Christ. Not just on those good days, but follow Christ even in spite of difficult events and, and personal failures and the occasions where people might try and challenge us or oppose us or discourage us from following Christ. But we're going to persevere, and we're going to be faithfully walking with Him anyway. That's what we're after. Now, today I want to focus on some difficult life events. Not those one-time things that that we have to figure out how to just get through and, and get to the other side of, but when we really feel trapped, when we feel like there's nothing to do. Now, that's important for perseverance for at least a couple reasons. One is, when we really feel cornered, I mean, when we really feel like there's no way out, sometimes that can weaken us spiritually to the place where we're tempted to kind of cut off the edges, you know, and maybe abandon Christ a little bit. Years and years ago, I remember uh, talking with a man. He came in and... uh, and he was a Christ follower, and he, had, he believed the Bible, and he had all those convictions and so forth. Uh, but he came in and he said, you know, I really don't think there's any love in my marriage. And uh, I don't really like my family situation and how we're living and how I, my life. And, and I found this other situation that I could actually just, you know, in about 10 minutes' time, plug myself in there. And I think I would have kind of what I'm looking for. And so uh, I... I made a presentation to him, the one that I think most of you would hope that I would make to him about how that that wasn't a good choice. And I also spoke to him about how I thought God might bring hope back to him and how he might work in his current situation and how he ought to think about those things. And he listened politely to me, and at the end of it, he said, yeah, I know what's right. I'm just not sure what I'm going to do. See, Now, in any other area of life, or, you know, two years earlier, or, you know, for most of his life, he never would have uttered words like that, see? But now his convictions, and they were all kind of softened up and mushy, and it's like, yeah, the, yeah, there's right and wrong, but I'm not sure what I'm going to do. So it's really important that we think about what we're going to do when we're trapped. Another reason is sometimes it's not a matter of knowing, you know, right from wrong. It's just, what do I do at all? I think, again, about uh, Melanie's health, it was, it was a while after we'd seen the specialist at OHSU, and we were, we were in the office of a neurologist, uh, Melanie's first neurologist, and um, we're sitting there, and just in a, it was a very, very comfortable in her office, and the nice windows there, and the trees, and nice day, and all that, and we're talking about it, and she, she's like, well, I really don't know how much I can help you, but um, I studied under a doctor, um, in med school, and I think he might be able to help you, and you should consider going to John's, John, John Hopkins. John's Hopkins? Anyway, and uh, so I, I think I was polite. I'm not, I'm not sure. I think I was polite outwardly, but quite frankly, inside, I was thinking, isn't that on the East Coast? <laughs> I think it's, you know, like Baltimore or Boston or, you know, something a long ways away. And inside, I'm, I'm, look, I'm looking at all these degrees that says, this is a smart person. And inside, I'm thinking, that's the stupidest idea I've ever heard. <laughs> you mean you want us to get on a plane, cross the country, to go to an appointment, you know, for like 20 minutes like this one is? 
and then get on a plane and fly home? It's just the dumbest idea I've ever heard. Now, see, here's the problem, though. When we're really in these stuck places, here's where I, after a few minutes, I realize where I am. You see, if I say, yeah, let's go, well, it's expensive, and it's just one more doctor, and this is not going, you're starting to catch on. This is not going to be the magic button, and it's not going to fix anything, and won't we just come home disappointed? On the other hand, if I say, no way, that, that's just ex crazy expensive, that's a dumb idea, we're not going, well, what's really sort of the bottom line of that for my wife? Is it not equal, well, you just need to go home and be sick, I've got to get back to the office. It's so tough. You see, and we're in these situations where we feel like we have two really bad choices. I can just strive and, and work and push for change, and people get out of my way any cost. At least I, I am going to change this situation. I don't care how it hurts anyone or what I have to do or what it costs. It doesn't matter. I'm going to do it. And, you know, it's just like, ah, <laughs> awful. And, of course, then we don't have much impact, and that's frustrating, and we hurt people, and all this kind of stuff happens. On the other hand, if we just say, you know, I just, I give up. I give up. Well, we're giving up our hopes and our dreams, and it feels like dying, and it's, quite frankly, that close to depression. And so what do we do? We're stuck. Now, our passage for the series is Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. Let me read this for you says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. These are our, our verses, and, and today we're going to focus on this phrase. In learning perseverance, of course, Jesus is our model, and it says we need our eyes fixed on him, our attention, and he becomes our model, Jesus. It says he is the author of faith. That is, he is the one who, who uh, forged the way, who designed living by faith. Not living by works or accomplishing things or doing things. He designed the way of living by trusting God. And that's how he lived, in connection and trust to his Father. He's the author of that. He got it started. He's also, though, the perfecter of it. He completes it. In other words, he does it even in the, the worst-case scenario. I just imagine maybe no one's ever felt or been more trapped than having God the Father say, I need you to go to a cross to save them. Of course, you will die. So now here I am. So I die or you die? Two seemingly bad choices very trapped. But it says he, he scorned the shame, he endured the cross, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He completes that struggle, and he perseveres in faithfulness to his Father. He is certainly the one we can look to when we feel trapped. Here is our idea today, though, that Jesus is going to lead us in a path that, that avoids those extremes on either side 
and helps us adapt to those circumstances. Because that's what resilient people, spiritually resilient people, need to have the ability to do, to adapt to difficult things. That's what we're after today. Being on guard of, of, of those extremes of just trying to control our world or just giving up, but adapting to it in unique ways. A study was done at UCLA, and they, they looked at uh, marriages. What, what, what are the factors for couples who have a happy marriage? And they found that uh, money didn't quite matter, that they're very happy poor couples and they're very happy rich couples. Success didn't have as much impact. Health didn't have as much beauty, intelligence. Even power in the world didn't have as much impact in a happy marriage as couples who were able to adjust to things out of their control. They could take something into their life that they didn't have control over. They could adjust to that. They were happier than other couples around them. Interesting. This is such an important thing for us to be able to do, and I think Christ leads us in that. Keeping our eyes on Him. Now, what I want to do is kind of drop us back in the first century. Jesus has, has uh, gone to the cross. He's died, rose again. He went back to heaven. We've seen He's at, at the throne of God at, God, at the Father's right hand. And now uh, people are coming to Christ. They're... they're uh, they're believing him, they're trusting him, but they're also being told by the apostles, now, Jesus is also coming back. We saw him leave, and the last thing he was telling us is, remember, I'm coming back too. You know, this is temporary, I'm leaving, but I will be back, and I'll be back for you. And so people ask some really kind of legitimate questions. Well, wait a second, so now, I've formed this relationship, but if he's coming back, I mean, what does that do for all kinds of things? And you, you might think, you know, what does that mean I should do with my money? What if he comes back tomorrow, you know? And as has been suggested, some people thought they could buy a Ferrari on time. If he's coming back tomorrow, let's have fun driving around today. That's not really what the answer we're going to get, but, you know, what about money? What about uh, something like marriage? Wait a minute, I was thinking I might get married, but maybe I don't need to. When's he coming back, and what's that all about? And, and slaves ask questions, apparently. Wait a minute, I came to Christ, but, but I'm a slave. When's, when's he coming? How does that impact me? And how does being connected to Christ impact me? So we're going to look at some advice that, that Paul sent to uh, slaves. Now, before we get to it, I want to mention a little disclaimer. First of all, um, you need in your mind the understanding that this was not um, 17th and 18th century American slavery. In the Roman world, it was sometimes, you know, the Romans conquered a particular area and took a lot of people, but, but um, it was not necessarily racially based, and it wasn't probably something you wanted, but if you were a slave, you could have a good life if your master was a good person. And so it was kind of this really weird thing. That's the first thing to understand. And second of all, remember that he's speaking to, he's not speaking about slavery and as an institution. He's speaking to people who happen to be slaves. So anyway, we'll get that stuff in our mind squared away. And here's the principle he gives. Remain as you are. He says to them, yes, each of you should remain as you were when God called you. Are you a slave? Uh, don't let that worry you. But if you get a chance to be free, take it. And remember, if you were a slave when the Lord called you, you are now free in the Lord. And if you were free when the Lord called you, you are now a slave of Christ. God paid a high price for you, so don't be enslaved by the world. I'm going to pull a few things out of this passage that I think will help us as well as he instructs these slaves. The first one is 
really quite simple and foundational, and that is we need to find rest in Christ. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I find his first words to them really, really comical. You get these slaves and like, hey, what are we supposed to do? We're, we're stuck in slavery, but now we belong to Christ. And what does that mean? And here's, Paul, here's Paul's encouragement. Ah, don't worry about it. Eh, not a big deal. It's like, ooh, thanks. Uh, I don't know. I just, I just think that's funny because it sounds like some of the most unsympathetic, you know, unhelpful advice ever. But actually, he's really pointing to something fundamentally important and foundational to relating to God and, and, and from the Bible. See, we must have Christ's peace in our life. Think about those two possibilities if, when we're trapped. Are we going to work to change that? Oh, you, better ha- you better be at peace with Christ about that before you go do it, or you're going to just make a mess of things, right? Or, you know, if you're going to accept your situation and, and just be resolved to where you are in something, you You need Christ's peace about that first, or it will just eat you alive. See, and God doesn't want that either. You need the rest and peace of Christ in your life first. But how do we get it? Now, this, of course, could be a week, weeks and weeks of a a sermon series, but I thought really broadly, just just think of some of the passages in the New Testament, actually in the whole Bible, about finding rest and finding peace. And I collected a few for you that won't be on the screen, but they're kind of in your notes if you want to look at those. Now, here's what I notice about them. If you just kind of group them all together, it's great wisdom. It's great things for us to kind of incorporate into our lives. But we're going to find that some of them are going to say that you should be very active, and others are going to recommend that you're passive about things. Some are going to be invitations to rest. Some are going to command you to rest. Some will be prayers for you, a prophet or an apostle wrote scripture, and in that they prayed for us through the Bible into your life that you might have the rest and the peace of Christ in your heart. Prayers for you. On the other hand, some of them are going to tell you you need to pray so that you can have, so that you can rest in Christ. They're they're diverse, and yet here's the thing I find in absolutely every one of them, and that is Surrendering your circumstances to God. There isn't rest without it. I'm just not seeing it. I don't see a formula that lets you out of that part, that lets you just do the praying part, but you get to keep holding on to your circumstances and working them, and, you know, I stay in control, and I'm going to manage this, but I pray. There isn't a formula that leaves out the step of surrendering that stuff to God. Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God, God says. Implication, be still and know that you are not God. I had someone last night say, you know, I really didn't get that message at all. It was too confusing. I'm like, yeah, I know. There's some of this stuff is, you know, Paul's going both ways and it's hard to understand. She's like, no, 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 that part about (laughs) not God. Anyway, she's joking, but... (laughs) Psalm 131, my heart is not proud, O Lord. I do not concern myself with great matters. And that puts me in the position of being able to say, I've, I've stilled and quieted my soul. Now I have rest. Romans 15, 13, may he, God, fill you with all joy and peace no matter what you do. No, you can have as much, you can have all the joy and peace of the Lord according to how much you trust. 
It's not the magic prayer that overcomes your will. <laughs> you're, you're controlling things. It's not the, the magic prayer that overcomes you're just giving up. It's as you trust Him. It will be yours. Philippians 4, 6, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God where we understand prayer to be not a wish list, but a surrendering of ourselves to where God wants to lead us. Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29, come to me, Jesus says, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. See, there is rest, but there is a cost. Now, quite frankly, it's not really a very big one. We make it feel like a big one, but it's not actually very big. He says, take my yoke upon you. You have to give it up, and you have to be yoked to me, so we're going to have to go through this together, and you have to let me lead. And as you do that, you can have peace, and you can have rest. You're not in charge, but a wise and loving God is. And there we find Christ modeling this for us. As we keep our eyes on how he approached the cross, we find, what did he say? This is going to be about my Father's will, not about the things I fear, not about the pain, not about the suffering. It will be about him leading me. Rest in Christ, such an important first step, a huge thing, a difficult time at things to do, but absolutely, you've got to go there if you feel trapped. Now, the second thing, and that would be to let Christ define you. Uh, this, is, uh, this is not something new. We, we've talked about this before, and you've probably thought about it before, but think one more time about how we introduce ourselves to each other, you know? Uh, how we greet each other. Hi, I'm a, I'm a pastor. I'm a banker. I'm a teacher. Hi, I'm an unemployed computer programmer. Sorry, computer people. Uh, I, I'm a single mom. I'm a soccer coach. I'm a retired person. I'm a, a cancer patient, a cancer survivor. I'm a college student. I'm a Bible student. I'm a Blazers fan. I'm a Blazers hater. I'm a visitor. I know it just goes on and on. And what, are, what do all these things have in common? They have to do with our, our, our labels for ourselves, have to do with our activities and our circumstances. Now, I'm not going to go all weird on you and super religious and say, now start introducing yourselves by Bible names. Hello, I am like Joshua. I am like Gideon. You know, I, I'm, not, I'm not suggesting that. It's fine. to what We're letting each other know little things about us that are good. So you know, we're sharing a little bit important things about us. That, that's fine. But my point is, if you're really in your mind defined by your circumstances, and those are your labels, and then they go bad, how does that reflect on you? It'll eat you up. It'll destroy you. See, because you're not really defined by your circumstances, not ultimately. And so Paul says to slaves, remember, if you were a slave when the Lord called you, you're now free in the Lord. And if you were free when the Lord called you, you are now a slave in Christ. Now, it sounds a little bit like Jesus arrives and he comes into the room and he's like, okay, all the slaves, you're now free. All free people, you're now slaves. You know, I'm changing identities. And that's not really his point. His point is, you see, you're, you're thinking about that outward label, that outward thing. You need to think deeper than that. See, if you're walking around going, I'm a slave, he's like, hey, what does Christ say about you? He says, you're free. I've set you free. And, and if you're walking around, I'm, I'm a free person. I'm in charge here. It's like, hey, hold on. <laughs> what does Christ say about you? You are a servant of God. 
You're a slave of righteousness. Things you need to know and, and, and to incorporate. It goes deeper than that outward stuff. Now, again, we've thought about this before, but it, it really is amazing. You know, uh, Mike was, was visiting here this weekend, and some of you know Mike, and a lot of you don't, but, but did you realize that, that the, the, the one who led us in worship today is the salt of the earth? And that, that right over here, Cedric over here is, is light of the world, right? And over here we have, have a child of God. And did you know that uh, back in the booth, a couple, couple friends of Christ ever met someone who knew someone famous? Right? And in, in, in your row, there's a, there's a person who's a dwelling place for God. There's a new creation in front of you. There are saints around you. That, that uh, you know, you get really excited when you meet someone from a foreign country you've never been to, or maybe one you have been to. It's still exciting. Citizen of heaven sitting right among you. A citizen of heaven. Names already written there. Place being prepared for them. A child of light, a member of a royal priesthood, an enemy of the devil. Amazing, amazing people around you right now. And that's what God sees. That's what God sees. Imagine two people are out of work, they feel really trapped, and they decide they're going out looking for work. And one, sa one says, I'm a dearly loved child of God and a friend of Christ, and I'm going to look for work. And the other person says, I'm a frustrated, humiliated, unemployed business consultant, and I'm going out to look for work. <laughs> they will have entirely different mindsets. They will have completely different boundaries on what they're willing to say and what they're willing to do to get a job. They will have completely, universe apart, different view of the results, whether they get the job or not. They will be in completely different places. Now, if this is something you need to do a little more work on in your notes, I gave you uh, 31, 31 references, one a day for a month, okay? Do you start each day? Look one of those up. Look it up and say, you know, okay, okay, today. A friend of Christ. I'm going to live today like I'm a friend of Christ. What does that change and what does that do for you, the things you need to face that day? So there's one for every day. You can, you can do that and uh, start each day with one of those. Adapting to things out of your control goes so much better when you know who you are. In John chapter 13, as John begins to discuss the last few hours of Christ's life, he begins the statement that, that Jesus knew who he was. He knew where he came from and where he was going. And because of that, he picked up a towel and a bowl and he started to serve us. He washed feet. He gave his life for us out of the confidence of who he was. He's our model. Keep your eyes on Christ and how he defines you. And then the last thing is go ahead and grab what Christ provides for you. Now, this is a little, little confusing here, but we see after, after he said, you know, you just remain how you are when, when Christ called you. Uh, if, if you're a slave, don't worry about it. But then he says, but if you get a chance to be free, uh, take it. 
just kind of like, well, which, wait, what am I supposed to do here? He, he also says, a verse later, God paid a high price for you, so don't be enslaved by the world. It's a little confusing. Slaves, remain a slave. Slaves, if you can, be free. What's he saying? Now, the word remain might sound like an absolute kind of thing. Where, whatever you're doing when Christ calls you, don't do anything different. That's not really the point of remaining. It might help if we think of the fact that, that the word remain here is the same one that's used by Jesus in John 15 when he says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. You need to remain in me. You need to abide in me. You need to stay connected to me. You need to live life with me. And I think this is very similar to Paul's point. You, you, you start with Christ. You need to remain in that condition. And, and being a slave, that's outward stuff. Being trapped, be, being a, a chronically ill person, that, that's outward stuff. Oh, it's very hard. But you need to remain in Christ. Are you unemployed and stuck? Yeah, some things probably, hopefully, will change, but you, you're connected to Christ. Remain in Christ. And so he says, that's, that's the key. But then he goes on, and he's like, now, on the other hand, if you get a chance, go ahead and grab it. What's the principle here? I think what he's saying is that, that Christ will provide things for you, but you want to know that they match his plans for you, right? It matches his plans. And I think what he's saying when you compare these two things is, if, if you are stuck as a slave, and then Christ provides you with the opportunity to get out from underneath that, well, well, you would do that. Because you see, you're free in Christ, so you could live free in the world. That matches. On the other hand, let's imagine someone is, uh, their, their trap is financially. And in the Roman world, slavery was one of those options, sort of not a great one, but, you know, you might get out from underneath certain things by selling yourself. And, and so he says, now, if you're trapped in some way, don't enter into that. See, that doesn't match. You're free in Christ. Why would you enter into being trapped? Now, again, it's that outward thing, so it doesn't matter as much, but why would you go there? I think that's the wisdom. Now, I know we like things way more black and white and just tell me yes or no, but, but there, I think, is the wisdom. Does it match where you're going? So as I think about all these, and I just apply them to our situation in my home, and, and we do not have this nailed down. We are not experts, but I feel like we're, we're starting to get a grasp on a few things. You know, 10 years, it's, it's probably time we would be able to do that. And so I think of just applying these concepts where Paul has kind of said things in two ways, and how do we uh, uh, match them? Well, when something comes along and we think, should, would this be something we should do? To, to attempt to improve my wife's health. And well, we, we think about, well, is God really opening that door for us? Or are we just trying to grab something? Is it really match where he's taking us in life? That's a good question. Has he provided the means to do that, right? Is it, is it really right there before us? Now, some of you, when I told that earlier story, might have thought, you know, wait a second, haven't they traveled a lot to see doctors on the other side of the country? And we have, and that was because after, and I, I know an apology to that neurologist, uh, after having, you know, a, a couple MRIs for, for doctors who couldn't do anything with the results and you pay 1800 bucks for that, you realize, hey, you know, we really can go to the other side of the country for half that and get the, the advice of a world-class scientist who actually knows something about you. So anyway, we have done that and we feel like Christ has 
provided that said, here's an opportunity. You could get this wisdom on your, your situation. So, you know, is God really providing that? Here's another important question. Will pursuing this disrupt our ability to rest in Christ? Are we really just running after something here? Are we at peace without this? Because that's so important. It's not worth compromising that. Uh, compromising our contentment. And how will we think and feel if this doesn't really lead anywhere? If this isn't helpful? Will it be this great disappointment that, that, that breaks us? Well, that's a clue. We're not in a very good place. That's how we're trying to apply it, and I hope that uh, some of those things maybe helps you when you face a situation where you feel trapped. I don't know what that is, where you might be stuck or where you have been, but I do know that Christ wants to help you adapt to that and to persevere through it, faithfully following him all the way. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for uh, the opportunity to, to think about some of the trickier, messier, convoluted parts of life as we, uh, as we face situations that just are not so black and white and they're not so clear, and yet I see that to follow you all of our days, to, to be those resilient people, we need to bring you into those difficult situations and truly let you lead. I pray for everyone here this morning, regardless of the situation they face, that you will flood that, you will invade that with your presence, and I pray you would walk each one through that opportunity of having your, your peace and rest in that, and that they would know what to do and what not to do, that you would be their Lord in that. Give them the, the courage, the wisdom, uh, everything they need to follow you in this, Father. Help us to be good at this because we, we want to be faithful. We want to persevere. We want to honor you with our lives, even on our most difficult days. So we thank you for this. Thank you for the opportunity to have your help in this and get better at this. We praise you, and we, uh, we again rejoice that we've been in your presence today um, with others who love you and to uh, exalt your name. We do that even as we go out now. In Jesus' name, amen.